You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I'm so happy for these guys. They're going to win a ton of games here, and I'm thankful for them. Just the way that they have embraced us uh, and looked up to us as captains. They're good kids. They work hard. Coach Frost is awesome, and I can't wait to come back and watch them. For me, anything less than a Big Ten championship my senior year will be for for nothing. For I don't know. I would feel tremendous pain. I have to win a Big Ten championship my year, my senior year here for this program and um, for my teammates, for these seniors that sacrificed a lot. That's what has to happen next year, and that's what I'm, I'm just motivated to do. Disappointed, but very prideful. I got some fighters in there, and we need we need fighters. We've been missing a little bit of that, and, and that team uh, is getting a point that they expect to win, hate to lose, and are going to fight to the end no matter what. The result isn't what we wanted, but I'm awfully proud of those guys. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. It's our final full football edition of the Husker Online Show as Nebraska finished the season 4-8, and eight, uh, losing in Iowa City to Iowa, a very good Iowa team uh, that finished their year 8-4. and four. But Nebraska, once again, right there. Um, and really the trend over Nebraska's final seven games of the season. I mean, uh, the, 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 the overtime loss against Northwestern, losing by five at Ohio State losing by three to Iowa. Uh, Nebraska was right there with a lot of the top teams in this conference. And once again, kind of a similar story. And it took Kirk Ferentz uh, making some pretty out-of-character calls to win that game uh, last Friday in Iowa City. He had to go for a fourth and eight, uh, which I don't know very many people in football that would make the call there. He did on the 38, but I think he knew he didn't want to give Adrian Martinez that ball back. So uh, they, they got it. They kicked the field goal to their credit. They get the win. Um, and Nebraska now goes home. And, you know, there was guys talk about five and seven bowl talk. As we now know, there's already 81 teams at six wins. There was no shot of a bowl at five and seven. So win or lose in Iowa City, the season was over. And uh, you just got to move forward. And I think there's a lot of positives you can take out of it and still a lot of questions that need to be answered going forward. Well, definitely. And this was a season where uh, they had to go really, really low before things finally started to click and get better. I mean, you remember starting off at 0-6 and, and coming off that Michigan game, um, getting blown out by Purdue at home. Uh, you know, that, it was a real dark period uh, for this program after what was, you know, one of the most exciting off-seasons we've had here in a long time. But to their credit, uh, this team bounced back, and they stuck with it, and they continued to fight and get better and continue to gel and buy into what this coaching staff was preaching and it is zero coincidence that they ended the year the way that they did. Um, you know, even uh, going back to that Wisconsin game, which, you know, they lost, uh, the final score was pretty lopsided. They gave the Badgers all they can handle before eventually getting worn down toward the stretch. And then they should have won at Northwestern, uh, had a chance to win at Ohio State. And so, I mean, the script was flipped completely uh, from the first half of the season to the second. And even though the final record is what it is, they're not going to a bowl. I still think they were able to generate a ton of momentum going into the offseason that will be invaluable uh, to really springboarding this team even further into winter workouts, through spring ball, through the summer, and then on fall camp. Well, yeah, that's definitely the big takeaway from the season is kind of a tale of two seasons. I mean, the way they started out, it was like nothing could go their way. It was just kind of a comedy of errors at times. The penalties were ridiculous. Um, you know, it just is like they couldn't catch a break. 1-11 uh, or 2-10 was was realistic yeah, at I one mean, point. Yeah, I mean, it was looking pretty bleak there. 
Um, but no one panicked and, and you didn't, you didn't really see, um, you know, the team fall apart. If anything, they, they came together. You had a couple of departures that I think kind of maybe helped galvanize the team a little bit. And, and then they closed things out strong. And, and I, I think that, you know, one word we've, we've kind of been hearing a lot of is foundation and, and that what the senior class did and how they laid the foundation. And I, I don't think that's talk. I, I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty real. And, and I think that they do have a pretty good foundation heading into the off season. And of course, next year. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as Nebraska now uh, moves into the offseason. Coaches are all on the road recruiting, and it's a familiar spot for this program now. Two years in a row without a bowl game. And, you know, this is something I think everybody learned. You know, when you don't make a bowl game, it's bad for a lot of reasons. You don't get the practice. Um, you just, you know, somebody put this stat out there. If you go to a bowl game five years in a row, essentially your players get an additional year of practice because uh, you get five more months of practice over five years, which equals an extra, extra season. Um, so that development time is huge, that time in the weight room. And Nebraska can only do so much. I mean, you're, you can't practice anymore. You're done practicing. Um, so Scott Frost hit on this before they went out to Iowa. Uh, the team is going to continue to lift and train at least for one good week um, starting next week. They wanted to give the players a week off this week, uh, but next week the team will go in the weight room and, and do something. Because you go back to last year, guys, they went 50 days between any form of organized practice slash workout. And, you know, we saw the results. Guys had to go to the hospital. Their bodies did not look good. And I think when I remember Scott Frost told some folks after the fact, he goes, man, this team was even is the worst, out of, most out of shape football team he's ever seen before. Yeah. And that can't be overstated that when this, you know, they've got a late start getting here to begin with, uh, with their duties that they had with Central Florida. And so by the time they showed up ready to go 100% with Nebraska, uh, they were a lot further behind than anyone on that staff could have imagined. And that's because, you know, not only this team have a terrible end of the year where, where guys are essentially quitting in games and just didn't do anything for a full month. Uh, you know, they, they basically had to set back their entire winter strength program uh, basically to cater to where these guys were physically. And, um, you know, that, again, the, the progress they've made over the course of the year is even more impressive when you take that into consideration. But um, they're going to still make the most of what they have this month. Like I said, next week they're going to do a full pre-winter conditioning uh, week of workouts, uh, go home for Christmas break, and then come back ready to go. Uh, and this next few months, I think, are going to be as important as any uh, for the, you know building what 2019 could potentially be. You look at some of the games they lost, particularly in the Big Ten, you know, that Wisconsin game. They were right with them until the fourth quarter, and Wisconsin just beat them down and took the game over with the running game. Uh, same thing with Ohio State. Ohio State hadn't been able to run the ball all game, and then the third quarter, they get going and start physically pushing Nebraska around. Uh, and then Iowa, same thing. And so, I mean, that Scott Frost said it himself. He never thought that he would say Nebraska was the smaller, weaker team compared to a, an opponent rallying that, across them. That rustled Iowa fans, by the way, that he said that that, that postgame <laughs> Iowa comment yeah. he made. Well, that, I mean, I'm sure he wasn't lying about it, but that was the reality. Iowa was the bigger, stronger, more physical team. So same with Wisconsin, same with Ohio State. And so, I mean, that is the difference now between Nebraska taking that next step in the Big Ten is getting physically stronger, getting deeper uh, with recruiting. Uh, and Better then, players. Yeah, getting better players and uh, being having a, just a, a more equipped team especially in the trenches to go head-to-head with the best this conference has to offer well and I think they're they're hungry to make that progress to 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 get to get back to work Uh, I feel like I mean you heard Muhammad Barry there in the open kind of 
you know, they, they're, th- these guys are, are a pretty motivated group. Uh, they obviously weren't satisfied by, by what happened, how, how the season kind of transpired. Um, and they're, they're really eager to get to work. Uh, whereas last year, I felt like the entire season, pretty much everyone was just kind of on cruise control and, and no one was really, no one was really bought in and, and worried about working and getting better. And, and so you're going to have a motivated group. You're going to be adding some mid-year uh, enrollees, some new blood into this program. And What's the number going to be at mid-year, you think? Right uh, now? I mean, it's going to be pushing, depending on what happens between now and... Juco guys. Yeah, I mean, it'll be pushing... 10 it'll be pushing double digit guys that are going to be coming into the program um you know beginning the the spring semester and going through winter conditioning and everything well that will make a big difference no doubt well we're going to give some final thoughts here on both the offense and the defense and mike wheeler will be in as we'll take your questions in the mailbag and then we'll close the show uh with some recruiting talk as nebraska's coaches out on the road in full force uh we'll get nate klaus's thoughts on all that next that's all next here in this week's edition of the husker online show You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Whenever you have Coach Frost and this offensive uh, staff, um, I think the sky's the limit. Uh, and obviously we have a lot of guys returning there, so it'll be exciting to see what we're capable of next year. Um, some other guys will have to step up, but uh, I feel good about those young guys that you named there um, stepping in and making some plays for us. Obviously, towards the end of the year, I think we got a lot better as a group um, and executing what we needed to. But there's just uh, this much, you know, a little bit um, plays here or there that could really make a difference and I think win us a lot of those ball games. And welcome back here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. This segment of the show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill, five locations here in Omaha, one in Lincoln. Uh, get on into Tanner's as They'll have all the conference championship game action that starts uh, really Friday. You've got the Pac-12 game on and um, a bunch of big games on the weekend, the Big 12, Big 10, SEC, ACC title games, and then obviously all your NFL action and Husker basketball Sunday. So uh, get on into any of the Tanner's locations uh, to check out all the action. Well, guys, I wanted to use this opportunity to kind of give a final wrap on the offense for Nebraska. And uh, I did a breakdown with uh, the data we got from Pro Football Focus and, you know, a lot of things jumped out to me. Uh, but I think when you look at the, the biggest jump from a year ago to now that we saw the gains for Nebraska were in uh, were the explosive type runs, particularly runs of 10 yards or more. Nebraska doubled their output this past year from a year ago, 88 runs of 10 yards or more compared to 44. The other number, though, that really got me over 1,661 yards for Nebraska in the rushing game came after contact. Uh, where a year ago it was 979. So they really uh, doubled their production on that uh, number. And I think a lot of that you got to give credit to the strength and conditioning staff. That's speed, that's power, uh, that's, that's strength. And, you know, when you see those types of numbers on paper, it really, I think, shows some of the gains guys like Divine Ozigbo uh, made this past season. Yeah, Divine's the poster boy for that. Um, he looked like a completely different player than any time we'd ever seen him in a Husker uniform before. And uh, I don't know if that was more the strength coach or him just deciding to put the work in to get to that point, or probably a combination of both. But he turned his career around to where, uh, I mean, obviously he was the first thousand yard back since 2014, and now he has a legitimate chance to make an NFL roster, potentially even be drafted. And if you would have said that I'd be saying those words in August, 
I would have laughed in your face because I thought he was the one guy that was going to be the odd man out in that running back rotation. Uh, he just seemed like he didn't fit at all what the staff wanted to do. What it turned out, he was the perfect fit for what they needed to do because he brought uh, the physical element that you need to have um, in the Big Ten, especially in those November games when it's 20 degrees and a 30-mile-an-hour wind. But he also had that breakaway speed where when he got to the second level, no one was getting him. And that's what he never had uh, until this season. So uh, credit to Zach Duvall, but also a big credit to Divina Zigbo, who uh, for these players that are coming back next year, um, he is the perfect example of what happens when you fully dedicate yourself to what the staff is trying to do, uh, the rewards you can get because of it. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of pigeonholed him into being that short yardage guy. Uh, before the season started and then all of a sudden he was a completely different guy and, and I think right around that Purdue game is where it, I felt like the the running game for Nebraska really started to take off and I don't know if that's just because that's when the line really started to gel or if that's just when everyone got that's on when Greg Bell left pretty much right after that yeah, game too yeah um, so it, you look at all the improvements that were made and I think maybe the biggest thing that stands out to me is that this is during a transition year this is when you know the they're in a completely new scheme and so you know the improvements that, that took place between last year to this year I think that you could possibly say that there's going to be even more improvement from year one to year two in the same scheme here. So I think that's what's, to me, that's what's exciting, you know, looking forward to next season. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Uh, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett, as we talk offensive storylines here from the season. And guys, um, I, I think it's obvious Adrian Martinez's improvement too. I mean, you have to go there. And I mean, I, I'm serious. When, when I when I look at Martinez, I would not be shocked at all if he's a guy that would go pro after just three years. I mean, what I saw from him in year one was as impressive of a freshman season as you're going to see, considering Nebraska doesn't have the pieces of Clemson or Alabama or an Oklahoma or a Georgia has. For him to come in and do what he did, I mean, Ohio State, you saw what they just did to Michigan. And for him to do what he did in that game um, earlier this year, uh, for all the gains he made, it is scary to think how good this guy could be and how special he could end up being if he stays healthy and keeps growing like we think. Well, that's the big question is how much better can he get? Because he was really good this year. Uh, for a true freshman, uh, it was remarkable, uh, the strides that he made and how quickly he became a star in this league um, and arguably the best player on Nebraska's entire team. Uh, and so the, I think where you're going to see those next steps that he needs to take are just uh, between the ears, um, recognizing coverage is better, uh, making better decisions with the football, holding on to the football. He fumbled a lot this year. Uh, he didn't lose a whole lot of them, but he put the ball on the turf quite a bit. Uh, and just kind of those natural progressions that every first-year player has to make um, you know, going forward. And so I think as, once those things start to happen, combined with his – we all know about his athletic ability. I mean, he's, he's a, a stud. Uh, but you know, with the poise he's already showed as a freshman, um, it's a really short list of things he needs to do to take it to the next level. And, Sean, you're not the only one who has a very, very high ceiling for Adrian Martinez. You know, I remember after that Iowa game, Bruce Feldman um, from Fox Sports and The Athletics said that he wouldn't be surprised if Adrian Martinez won a Heisman Trophy – by the time he left Nebraska. So, I mean, and then you, that's just add him to the list of national writers who have watched Nebraska play and immediately see the potential Adrian Martinez has. Nate, if, if they were re-ranking Adrian Martinez now, knowing what we know, would he be a five-star? 
I would think so. Yeah, I mean, you look at you look at what other freshman quarterbacks did across the country in Trevor really, Lawrence and him. Yeah, and yeah, really, the only other guys that compare or or exceeded what Adrian Martinez did were five star quarterbacks. And so, yeah, I think that I think that you could definitely make a case that he should have been a, a five star, for sure, top one hundred. Yeah, for sure, top one hundred. And you know, and he was kind of hampered by the fact that he didn't play his senior season. So uh, shoulder when, injuries are a big deal. Yeah, and when that you know when it comes to rankings and that type of deal. You you know that certainly factored into uh, into the equation there, but um, you, you talk about that Ohio State game, and, and you look at all the records that Dwayne Haskins broke this year. Uh, well, that day, you, I think that Adrian Martinez was a more impressive quarterback, and so you look forward to next year, and, and I don't think it's crazy to say that that he could be the top quarterback in the entire conference. Yeah, and, and you got to give credit to Mario Verduzco and Scott Frost. Um, you know, that, that was always a complaint amongst Nebraska insiders and kind of knowledgeable fans that Nebraska really never had good, true quarterback coaching. Um, Danny Langsdorf, to an extent, was a QB coach. He worked with Eli Manning in, in, in the NFL, but he just wasn't given a good quarterback to work with. I mean, Tommy Armstrong yeah. wasn't the right guy for him, and he had to kind of force that to work. Um, Tanner Lee is what he is. I mean, he, he had a lot of tools, but just it just didn't work. Uh, but, you know, Tim Beck, uh, most of us would agree, wasn't really a true quarterback coach. Um, Watson was, I think, a quarterback guy. Uh, but Nebraska just hasn't had a good developer of QBs, and it looks like they have one now. Well, they have one, uh, and they have the – They have two of them. They have a scheme to make this kid absolutely thrive. I mean, this is, might be the most quarterback-friendly system in all of college football. So he has the proper teaching, he has the proper scheme, and he has all the tools in the toolbox to work with. And so that's why – I don't think there's uh, an outlandish amount of praise you, or um, expectations you can set for this kid just because he's impressed so much so early that it's just kind of the natural next step that is going to get pretty high when all is said and done. Yeah, I've talked with some people out there that have been able to, you know, obviously been around the game an awful long time and, and have been around Scott Frost and Mario Verduzco and basically said that, that those two, there are no better coaches to, to coach quarterbacks and develop quarterbacks uh, than those two guys. And in fact, one coach told me that Verduzco was kind of the, the quarterback whisperer. So, um, <laughs> and, and that no two guys really evaluate quarterbacks, especially for this particular system, better than those guys. So uh, when, you, when you bring all those guys together and you get someone that's as talented as Adrian, um, you know, special things are going to happen. I don't know if you guys saw that uh, BTN The Journey thing that they did on Adrian Martinez. They did profiled Verduzco mm -hmm. a little bit, kind of talked about how quirky he was. But his style is so like it connects with Adrian Martinez so much. That's one of the things Adrian talked about. What sold him on Nebraska was that relationship he built with Mario Verduzco. He has all the trust in the world in what Mario is teaching him and knowing that he's what he's telling him is going to make him better. And so when you have that connection from player to coach with this system and with this player, I mean Yeah, this summer when Mario before the cigar and sunglasses thing kind of caught on a life of its own. I was in Kearney for that tour deal, and nobody had really known the cigar and, and glasses thing during the spring yet. And that Mario was in this bank, bank lobby at 7 in the morning, sunglasses and the cigar, giving his address to, like, all these Husker fans. And I just, I did, I just set this one up. I go, Nebraska's quarterback's coach, Mario Verdusco. And the tweet just blew up, and Adrian Martinez actually quote tweeted and said, that's my QB coach right there. He owns it. You know, so he, he, clearly he likes the, the, the quirkiness of Mario Verdusco, and it's going to be fun to kind of watch that play out over the years. All right, when we come back, we're going to – 
uh, switch over to defense, give some final thoughts on what we saw this year defensively. That's all next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. What, what disturbs me is right now, Iowa's a bigger, stronger football team. That's right now. Um, I never thought I'd see or hear that or say that about a Nebraska football team. That we can fix. We can get bigger, we can get stronger. Give their guys credit. They've had three, four years, each of those players in Iowa's strength conditioning program. We've had one year as that. You know, they leaned on us quite a bit, especially in the first half. Thought the defense did a great job responding. But I'm looking forward to the day we get that fixed where we're not going to get pushed around by anybody. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. That was head coach Scott Frost following the Iowa game. Just the way Iowa pushed around Nebraska and I thought that was the money quote of the of the day when Scott Frost in the postgame uh, more or less said there should never be a day where Iowa pushes around Nebraska like that. And, you know, the quotes like that, I mean, that's what's going to make this rivalry. Um, Brian Ferentz and Scott Frost yelling, yelling at each other across the field during pregame when the players are going at it. That's what's going to make this rivalry. Kirk Ferentz doing things that he normally doesn't do. That's what's going to make this rivalry. And I'm excited for that going forward. But uh, let's talk defense, guys, as, as you look at what's going forward. And, um, Nate, for Nebraska, getting that pass rusher guy, it's almost been like trying to find a white unicorn. I mean, <laughs> they just haven't been able to find a, a legitimate pass rusher guy in a number of a number of recruiting classes. Yeah, it's been really difficult. And, um, you know, in the past you would, you would look for that player to be a defensive end. Well, now in this system – uh, it's going to be more of an outside linebacker, that, that edge rusher that, that's uh, you know, working in that 3-4 defense. So when they came here, they really didn't have anybody that, that quite fit that mold, and, and so that's been a priority, and, and it's difficult to find those guys. And, and so that's, that's really, when you look at the recruiting class right now, that is definitely right towards the top of, of needs, and, and they're going to try to go JUCO route, try to go high school route to, to start to stockpile some players that can kind of you know, bring more pass rush ability to the table. Well, I think along with the pass rush, what they need to do is establish just more depth with their front seven. Um, you know, but that was a big issue towards the end of the season, just the lack of numbers, especially at inside linebacker. Uh, I mean, that was a real problem for them, and that was Scott Frost's point. Once Honus got hurt. Yeah, I mean, they were basically working with three guys at well, inside Well, they tried linebacker. Wymaster at Michigan, and I think it was like, we love you, kid. He didn't even travel to Iowa, so I don't know if he got hurt or what, but uh, that was one thing I noticed on the travel roster. But, yeah, I mean, you look at the snaps. Uh, Dedrick Young and Muhammad Bear were playing at those inside linebacker spots that was a real problem and those guys were as well as they played and the numbers they put up uh they were wearing down uh, and so they they have to obviously get pressure on the outside but they need to add more depth immediately you know uh, immediately contributor depth uh, and the inside you know add inside linebacker and especially on the defensive line too with you know losing a guy like mick stoltenberg too well i think when you start to look at some of the positives though the aggression you know shenander came in in nebraska and he, he talked a big game about how they're going to play a lot more aggressive and enforce the issue where bob diaco as we know his scheme um was more of a analytical driven base and you could argue if that was his scheme or if he was being told to coach the scheme that way uh, based on the personnel Nebraska had. Uh, but we saw a lot more, um, you know, 25 sacks this year versus 14 a year ago uh, for Nebraska. There were 101 hurries versus 86 a year ago. Um, there were 291 stop tackles made by Nebraska. That's tackles where the defense wins the down um, versus 255 the year before. As far as forced turnovers go, um, there were five forced fumbles a year ago, 12 this year. 
nine interceptions, 11 this year. So you saw a number of 23 versus 14, a plus nine difference in forced fumbles, interceptions year over year. Um, so I, I think the whole point of forcing the issue, 43 pass breakups versus 19 a year ago, uh, that was a big jump as well, uh, 24 more from the, the, the year before over 12 games. So we saw some tangible evidence that things are going in the right direction, but man, they just need more ingredients to make this go. Yeah, they need more ingredients. And I think there's no uh, question that there was a direct correlation between Nebraska's turnaround and their ability to take the football away. Um, they weren't doing that at the beginning of the season. And suddenly, uh, I guess maybe going back to that Northwestern game, they started to take the ball away. And it immediately translated into wins. Uh, so, I mean, that is a, clearly a formula. But one thing with the sack numbers and the pressure numbers, they dialed up a ton of blitzes. And a lot of them didn't get home. And that left their coverage in some vulnerable positions, especially in that Northwestern game where you're sending linebackers and DBs to try and pressure the quarterback. They're getting picked up. And, you know, you're putting yourself at a real disadvantage. When Iowa based that fourth and eight call off the blitz. Yep. I mean, they pre-snap read that Nebraska was going to bring seven. The safety was off 10 yards. They're going to have Hawkinson go out eight and dump him a ball. And that's how they won the game. So some people used, Nate, I think Nebraska's aggression um, to Nebraska's disadvantage where um, they knew those blitzes, just, they didn't have the players to get home. Yeah, well, it's catch-22 if you can't generate a pass rush with – with uh, you know your normal three or four down linemen, um, then then you have to get aggressive and, and bring your, your your blitzers. But when you when you blitz, you're going to leave some things open. And uh, and with Nebraska's defense right now, they just I don't think they have the overall depth and, and playmakers there to uh, to be effective every time they they blitz. So that's something that needs to be addressed in recruiting. Um, but you're right, teams definitely use that against Nebraska. Um, you know, is I think when you look at maybe uh, position groups that, that took the biggest step, though, uh, I think the the secondary uh, really really impressed me, and especially DiCaprio that stat. Yeah, I mean DiCaprio Boodle uh, with the interceptions and then the the pass breakups too. We never saw the cornerbacks making plays on the football, especially last year. Um, and then to have what was that? Nineteen pass breakups to fifty some uh, this year for the defensive backs, like the actual true not 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 counting like defensive line pass breakups. It was forty three to nineteen. Yeah, I mean that's that's unreal. That's a huge jump. And so the Capriol Boodle had fifteen. And alone. he had fifteen alone, which was two away from at least tying the Nebraska record. So. Um, you know, and eventually those are going to start to turn into to more interceptions. So I was really encouraged by by the progress that, that the secondary made in that regard. You know, think about blitzes, though, guys. I mean, Nebraska's best two blitzes were very unorthodox this year. One from JoJo Doman at Ohio State. He's a safety, kind of a Swiss Army knife guy. The other came from a safety, Antonio Reed. Mm -hmm. And that, that kind of puts up that kind of sums up their pass rush in a nutshell. And Bob Welton told this to me before he left. Um, I said, what do you think when I saw him in the spring? And I go, what do you think of the guys? And he goes, we're short. And he goes, man, we're, we're just not very big. He's like, because I see a bunch of our guys. I love, I love the attitude and desire a lot of these guys have. But my God, I wish I could stretch them out about two or three more inches. And I think that lack of length, especially in this 3-4 scheme, was an issue this year at times. Yeah, I mean, especially uh, on the outside, I think. Uh, I, I think they were okay um, in the middle, um, but the, the lack of – The DNs, though, need to be taller, mm -hmm. I think, long term. Yeah, and so they were just getting swelled up by, you know, the on one-on-one -on -one blocks to where they weren't able to eat up multiple blockers to free up those blitzers and, you know, really kind of negated a lot of the aggressive play calls Shenander was dialing up. And, 
again, when those aren't getting home, you're allowing your quarterback to sit in the pocket and pick apart your secondary. Well, yeah, you're, you're seeing it in recruiting too. You're seeing the defensive ends are all 6'6", 260-plus pounds or taller, um, and then the outside linebackers are all 6'4", or taller, two, you know, 240 or so. So they're wanting to bring in length and, and add, you know, add that component to this defense, and, and I think that will make a big difference. It, when, you, when you look at this defense compared to, to UCS, I, I think that's, that's something that they, you know, that, that's kind of a glaring uh, discrepancy is just the overall length and, and uh, you know, kind of explosive playmakers there in that front seven. And Nebraska never has fully acclimated their personnel, Nate, to the 3-4. I mean, they've tried to make this move now two years to a 3-4, but they're still working with limited 4-3 pieces. Yeah, I mean, that's the majority of, of that, especially up front, you know, the, the defensive line. Uh, I don't know if they have quite the, the prototypical bodies that they that they want or need uh, to effectively run that scheme up the, up front yet. And so, uh, again, cause it's something that they're really addressing and, and recruiting. And, and unfortunately, it's going to take a little bit of time to, to, you know, get to where they want it to be. But, um, you know, I, I think that you are going to start to see some progress, and especially some of the younger guys that they brought in last year, uh, you know, given a, a full year under Zach Duvall, like a guy like Caleb Tanner, mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see what he he looks like next he year. He needs a of all winner. Yeah, I mean, he's going to – I think that he's a he's a guy that could look like a completely different player yeah. from year one to year two. That dude's a ball of clay ready to be shaped. <laughs> all right. When we come back, lots of questions. We're going to bring in Husker Online intern Mike Wheeler. Uh, we'll take your questions next in the mailbag. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I think this program going to ascend farther than it ever has before. I know they won a national championship in what, 97, 98 back to back. I feel like this is going to be a time in Nebraska history where it's going to continue to grow and continue to build as long as Coach Frost is here. And the mindset he has, as long as that keep building with the team, I feel like it's going to keep getting better and better. And welcome back here to the Husker Alliance show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Ron Washett, and Mike Wheeler joining us here. Guys, it's been so long. Nebraska's won a national championship. Uh, even the current players don't even know the years. Uh, he, he thought the back-to-backs came in 97-98. So uh, that kind of puts in perspective. I mean, They what, weren't even born. What most recruits out there um, you know, know about Nebraska and um, when you hear a guy like that. But got the mailbag segment. Mike Wheeler in studio with us. What do you have to start out, Mike? All right, so we'll start off here with next season. So of the defensive players who redshirted this year, who is going to make the biggest impact next season? You know, I'd like to say Breon Dixon, but I, mm -hmm. I, I just don't know enough about what he's done. Um, you know, like because I felt like in the spring he showed flashes, but there's clearly more to that that puzzle that we don't know but I'll say Cam Jones or maybe C.J. Smith. I think those yeah. are two names I'm really intrigued, especially with what Nebraska loses at the safety position. Yeah, C.J. Smith was going to be my pick, and especially I took them both. Sorry, it's all right. When, when he played, uh, I mean that I can't remember what game it was. The game he Northwestern. got Northwestern. Northwestern. Yeah, I mean he was from that point on going to become a, a big piece to that defense, uh, and the coaches were really, really upset. Uh, that he suffered that injury um, because they have high hopes for him. And so assuming he comes back um, off that injury uh, the way that everybody expects, uh, I think that he is going to be at a prime position to take over quite a bit of workload. Um, and this coaching staff feels really good about his potential in the system. I'll go with Braxton Clark. I think that he's a guy – 
that uh, obviously they they um, they really like. Um, he, he's they've talked an awful lot about him and, and what he was has been doing in practice. Didn't necessarily get you know a, a ton of opportunities this year in the four games that he could have played in. But uh, I do think that he's somebody who could uh, could see take a big jump and make an impact next year. All right, so the next one here, uh, this was actually posted on the board as a poll here, and I'm kind of interested to see what you guys uh, have to say about it because I think you can make arguments both ways. But if you could only have one Robinson, which would it be, Ty or Wondell? Wondell. Um, I, I just think for this offense, I mean, he's like the perfect player made to play in the Scott Frost system, the Oregon system with Chip Kelly. And quite frankly, I'm actually surprised that UCLA – wasn't a bigger player for a guy like Wandale Robinson. You would have figured Chip Kelly would have been all over this kid. Yeah, I, I think Wandale is kind of a no-brainer just because, I mean, the, the numbers he could put up in this system, like you said, Sean, it's tailor-made for a guy of his skill set. And if Nebraska were somehow to get him to flip, uh, I mean, that, that could potentially change this offense for years to come. Yeah, to me, it's it's I'm kind of torn because they definitely need a guy like Ty Robinson uh, up front along that defensive line, but I, I, I do think I have to go with Wandale. He's just he's a he's a day one instant impact guy and is going to be you know type a Rondale Moore type of guy where I think he's going to make a, a name for himself in whatever conference he ends up playing yeah. in day one. I had the biggest slip up on Big Red Wrap Up. I called Wandale Robinson Rondale Moore just by just because they're so similar. Yeah, they, Their yeah. names are so similar and both Wan, from Kentucky. Wandale Rondale. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it sounds like. <laughs> Just uh, hard to keep those guys straight. What do you have next, Mike? All right, so we'll switch over here now to basketball. Uh, the current record right now is obviously 6-1. and one. Uh, Now that we're a few games in, what do you think the uh, basketball non-conference record will be? Well, I mean, I think that, that Clemson game answered a lot of questions, especially coming off that Texas Tech game, where they showed the ability to win a game like that. And so I think that kind of... Um, reshapes how you view this pretty daunting stretch they have coming up. Obviously, you start league play uh, Sunday against Illinois, uh, and then you go at Minnesota, and then you got Creighton coming to town. Then you got a neutral site game against Oklahoma State, followed up by two kind of throwaway games to over Christmas break with Cal State Fullerton and Southwest Minnesota. So, uh, getting them that they're six and one right now, I think they at least split the Big Ten games. I think they should beat Illinois at home, and then I think they have a real opportunity to beat Minnesota. But So bare minimum, they at least split that. They should beat Creighton at home, and they should beat Oklahoma State in a neutral site game. That it is What's a, Oklahoma State uh, doing this year? Uh, they're okay. Uh, you know, they lost a lot from last year. Um, you know, they're, they're really recruiting at a high level right now, but uh, I don't know what their record is offhand, but I know that they're, they're rebuilding. Uh, so, I mean, the fact that that's in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, with a 3,200-seat arena that's going to be jam-packed with primarily Nebraska fans, that's a game you should win. And so you finish that up with two more games. I mean, you're looking at maybe potentially one loss over the next six. And so, you know, I think they have a real chance to get to 10, 11, it's maybe funny, 12 uh, wins. They play Brad Underwood and then his former team kind of like in a similar stretch to Illinois and Oklahoma State. But uh, do they like – I mean, do you get the sense the coaches, Robin, like to play these league games? I know it's good for TV because the bowl games haven't started yet – so it almost allows the Big Ten to kind of cram a week's worth of content in before college football bowl games begin. Yeah, I don't think they do. Um, just because, I mean, you're talking about 
hugely important games uh, a month earlier than they're supposed to be played. And there's still so much that you're trying to learn about your team. Nebraska's in a bit of a different situation this year where they've got a pretty core returning nucleus that, uh, you know, you, you already know what you got. But a, a couple of years ago, you know, if they would have done this, I mean, the, the team that you are in November compared to the team that you are in December compared to the team you are in February are sometimes completely different. So, no, I think by and large coaches don't like these early conference starts. All right, now uh, heading over to Champaign. How surprised were you guys that uh, the Illinois AD doubled down on Lovey and gave him an extension? Do we know, though, did the buyout number increase or did just the years? Because I don't know if that's been disclosed fully yet uh, on that. Uh, because if they just extended him in terms of years but the buyout stayed the same, it really means nothing in the grand scheme of things. It's just more of a recruiting thing to put out there. Uh, but, yeah, they – I don't know if they have a choice. I mean, Josh Whitman is not in a position to fire Lovey Smith because no. uh, the two of those guys are linked side by side. And man, they yeah they uh, they improved this year. Um, but I mean, he's doing it with kind of leftover players. I mean, AJ Bush had to come in and and you know win him a game, and it just I don't know. I, I don't I don't see that working. Yeah, they're they're tied at the hip, but Illinois. Uh their athletic department has no money. Their university has no money. The state's broke. Yeah, and so the idea that you're going to fire this coach that you've invested a ton of uh, you know, resources into uh, and then buy another new coach after hiring a new basketball coach, after renovating your basketball arena, uh, it just would not be a smart financial decision. Their facilities whatsoever. they're building there are huge yeah, too, right? Yeah, so they're, they're, already, <laughs> they're already dealing with some you know, tight budget situations and to fire your coach – um, who was handpicked by your athletic director probably wouldn't be the best move. I was really wasn't surprised by it. I think I look at it at as a, a kind of a recruiting ploy. This is a deal where yeah the Lovey and the AD are, are tied at the hip, and um, you know I really wasn't surprised to see him extended. Uh, but if he doesn't, I mean, two years from now, if, if things don't get on the right track or if their recruiting doesn't really explode, then uh, then they're really going to have to look at making a move, I think. All right, we got time, Mike, for one more. Uh, what do you got light to end on here? All right, so uh, with this senior class now departing, what story involving a departing Husker senior is your favorite story to tell? I don't know. I think you can go a lot of directions on this one, Mike, but just Divino Zigbo and the way he hung around, because I think most people kind of wrote his transfer ticket, um, especially after the spring and Greg Bell coming in and um, just the resiliency that he showed um, to, to kind of hang in there. Um, it can be used as an example to a lot of guys. I mean, I look at even like a Jalen Bradley. I mean, it, it, the prospects of him playing don't look good at Nebraska, but a guy like Jalen Bradley should look at a Divino Zigbo and say, you know what, I, I'm not giving up on myself yet. I mean, look at Divino Zigbo. So I, that, that's one when I look at stories from this senior class, and I'll be honest, I wrote off Divino Zigbo. I wasn't expecting much from him this year, and so he's one that really sticks out to me. Yeah, Divine's got to be at the top of the list, but I'll, I'll go an easy one and do Stanley Morgan. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that we talked about for the last three years about how good he could be uh, if he were able to reach his full potential, and he had an opportunity to bail on this thing, make an early jump to the pros, uh, and took one phone call with Scott Frost and Troy Walters, decided, hey, I want to come back, and I want to really do special things at Nebraska. And the team success obviously wasn't there, but Stanley Morgan, it was no fault of his. Uh, he ends his career statistically as the greatest wide receiver in program history. He owns basically every single record, uh, and it's a real credit to him. Um, I mean, you just listen to Scott Frost talk about Stanley Morgan Jr., 
Uh, I mean, there are not enough words in his uh, repertoire to give enough praise to Stanley and the job he did and what he meant for this team. You talk about the seniors laying the foundation. Stanley's right up there at the top. And so on the field, he did a ton, uh, broke all the records. But I think his contributions as being that kind of face of the program, senior leader in the locker room, was just as valuable. Yeah, those are probably the, the top two guys that I, that I would go with. But Sucks being the guy that yeah, goes last. It does. It does. <laughs> uh, but I'll go with Aaron Williams. I mean, he's coming off that, that shoulder injury. I uh, really didn't didn't see a ton of time last spring. And, and even during fall camp, it looked like he was the, the odd man out in the back end of that secondary. Uh, but he came back and he had one – I think he had a heck of a year this season. And, um, you know, and, and I think a lot of us, you know, were kind of doubting his abilities coming off that shoulder. Honorable mention to Luke Gifford, too. Fighting through injury, played career to have a great senior season. And, uh, again, another one of those locker room guys that was invaluable to this program. All right, when we come back, we'll close the show as we'll talk some recruiting with Nate Klaus. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Recruiting is more intense than it used to be in general. There's not a lot of people that are hidden anywhere. Uh, It's competitive. Uh, But we got such a great product to sell here at Nebraska, such a great community, such a great fan base, facilities. Uh, I think people recognize the direction that this thing's headed. So we're going to try to capitalize on this momentum uh, for the next two months. And welcome back here to the Hunsker Line Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, final segment here as Nebraska is in a three-week recruiting period here where the coaches can be out on the road um, before the December 19th signing day. You get three full weeks in living rooms. That means – um, you can visit each one of your targets one time uh, per week. Scott Frost is allowed one visit over that whole period. Um, so this is it. I mean, this is the crunch time. And, um, you know, this has changed the coaching landscape, how coaching hires and fires are made because of this early signing day. Nate, what are your impressions thus far of Nebraska's work on the road here in week one? Well, they've been extremely active, you know, as we expected them to be. But um, they've been literally from coast to coast, you know, from from uh, Savannah, Georgia, all the way out to uh, to L.A. I mean, and everywhere in between. So uh, I, I like their strategy. They went out and, and they hit a lot of their commits right out of the gates. And, and now they're, we're starting to see them get more into some of their top targets. Um, you know, a, a guy like Ty Robinson, for example, the, the Rivals 250 defensive end out of Wandell Robinson, Wandell Robinson, uh, those types of guys, uh, we're we're starting to kind of get into those visits uh, that are taking place. And um, and you have to be really strategic with how you use those visits. Like you mentioned, Scott Frost only gets one opportunity to go in home with a recruit. And so, um, you know, sometimes you need to to really make up a lot of ground. And and so you use that in home visit with the head coach right off the bat uh, to really show the kid, you know, just how mu- how important they are. And sometimes you want to hold that back until a little closer to when a decision is going to be made or a little closer to signing day so that you can leave that, you know, that final impression with the head coach too so there's a lot of strategy that goes into it but uh, bottom line is they're being extremely active and and not only seeing you know one kid a day or, or doing one visit a day but a lot of a lot of what we've seen so far they're doing two three four visits uh, in one day all right Nate two things of Nebraska's current 21 commitments two things developed that I thought that I wanted to ask you out of that first of all Michael Lynn told our own Brian Munson he doesn't plan to sign in December 
and he's still his word is as strong as oak, as the guy in Jerry Maguire would, Cush's dad and Jerry Maguire would say. But um, doesn't want to sign in December. Red flag. Yeah, I mean, obviously a red flag um, initially, but I, I do think that. Uh, that Michael Lynn will end up in Nebraska. And my read on it, and and this is just kind of my speculation, my um, you know my take from from past experience. You're way too many years of experience yeah, covering things like this. I, I think the the way that I'm reading this, and the way that he said it, is I, I get the feeling that it's a high school coach or his trainer or somebody who's kind of telling him, hey don't sign yet. We want to keep having these coaches come through the school. Um, and, and with him being in Colorado and, and the, the, the fact that the Buffs have made a coaching change, they haven't hired anybody new, I, I think that maybe he's getting some pressure from some, some other people uh, that he's associated with to maybe hold off from signing. But he, he, he told me it would take something catastrophic for, with the coaching staff at Nebraska for him to not end up signing with Nebraska. Um, and, and I tend to, to believe him at his word there and the other one i'm gonna go to nate and you know i was gonna go there desmond bland um a has he been visited b will he be visited what's going on with the status of arizona western offensive lineman desmond bland yeah pretty cloudy situation with him right now now there's there's going to be a lot of coaches that have made their way through arizona uh, we've not been able to confirm whether or not Nebraska has made their way through Arizona Western. I would think that, that they would have, uh, but it's kind of come to my attention that, that he's got some grade um, issues, that, he's, that he may not be able to graduate in December, that he's got some work to do. And, and what, if one thing's kind of become clear here over the past few months is that Nebraska, when it comes to their JUCO recruiting, especially in this cycle where they need to bring in players early and get them through strength conditioning with Zach Duvall, get him through spring football and try to, you know, have some playmakers make an early impact. Um, you know, when it comes to those JUCO guys, they want players that are graduating in December to be able to do that. And and so if Desmond Bland is all of a sudden not a December grad, then it, that changes your, your focus maybe a little bit or changes how, how you view him. Now, I see him as a plug-and-play guy from day one. Um, Nebraska obviously has is going to have a couple holes in that interior of their offensive line, so it's going to be interesting to see exactly how this thing plays out. But he's visiting Florida State next weekend, and um, you know, and we'll see if if he makes it in uh, for an, an official visit to Nebraska. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus. As we discuss the first week of recruiting for the Huskers. Now, Nate, Nebraska will have visitors in town um, the next three weekends, theoretically. Uh, what is this weekend kind of shaping up to look like as far as uh, the visit weekend? Well, so far, it looks like it's going to be a little bit of a lighter weekend. Uh, you know, you're, you've got all the coaches that have been out on the road all week long. Uh, seeing a lot of the commits, and so far you're looking at uh, Garrett Snodgrass, the the athlete commit, linebacker commit out of York. He's going to be taking his official visit this weekend, as well as Ethan Piper, the offensive lineman, defensive lineman out of Norfolk Catholic. So a couple of in-state guys right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's maybe a surprise or two that, that makes their way to campus. Um, but it's it's going to be the weekend of December 7th, 8th, and then um, the, that last official visit weekend before the, the early signing period where you're going to see uh, a ton of – a lot more official visitors, I guess I should say, uh, more so than this, this particular weekend. What do you – I mean, when you look at the number, Nebraska 21 commits theoretically um, today, uh, what do you think the December signing number is going to be at? 
I think it could approach 25. Um, and, and I think out of if, if they're if they're right around 20, 24, 25 commitments, I think that that you're going to see pretty much all but maybe one or two of those guys sign. And then, you know, that which kind of leaves just a handful of guys for them to really focus on and, and to really, uh, you know, kind of pay attention to in, in that stretch run in January. So um, I, I do think that we'll see the large majority of this class or the large majority of the remaining spots kind of filled up here uh, here over the next few weeks. And the one thing that's interesting about this year's recruiting cycle, Nate, is there hasn't been a major coaching move that's made. I, I don't consider Colorado or potentially a Purdue. Louisville is one of the bigger ones. But USC's sticking with Helton. The SEC, I don't think there's going to be one at all, is there? Yeah, probably not. Um, so the SEC just made all their big ones a year ago. Um, within the Big Ten, Lovey staying in Illinois. So the the lack of coaching changes. I think the data of signed guys in December this year is going to be much higher than what it was a year ago. Yeah, definitely. With the that coaching carousel that you you saw last year, uh, that that caused a lot of guys to to decommit, kind of open things back up, and and take a wait. step back and wait to see you know exactly how the dust was going to settle on, on the whole coaching landscape and you're not going to see near as much movement this year there's still going to be some movement and there could be a few more dominoes that kind of fall but not out of those major schools I, I think with USC keeping Clay Helton that kind of prevented you know a, a large domino effect from from really taking place all right well that wraps it up here uh, for this week's edition of the Husker Online show there'll be plenty to follow though, over the weekend as uh, more recruiting action, and then Robin Washett will have um, all the uh, coverage from the Nebraska versus uh, Illinois basketball game. That's a Sunday game at 4 o'clock here in Lincoln. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.